You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 134. In this episode, I'm speaking to Mike Morrison on how to create and run successful membership sites. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. Today's guest is Mike Morrison, who is a co-founder of the Membership Guys and Membersite Academy where he helps online entrepreneurs start and grow their membership sites. Mike has strong opinions on why or why you shouldn't start a membership site. He actually went on a little rant on the show, and I love rants. You can find links to Mike at sigrun.com forward slash 134, and there you'll also find the show notes of this episode. I am very excited to be here with Mike Morrison from the Membership Guys. And of course, we're going to talk about memberships. It would be weird if we would talk about something else. Thank you for being on the show, Mike. Sigrun, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat to you about memberships. <laughs> so I saw you speak at uh, Youpreneur Summit. I've been actually kind of bringing everybody on the show that I saw speak there. <laughs> and you were talking a lot about the reasons why people should have a membership site. And I thought to myself, I know why I should have it, you know, subscription model, uh, monthly incoming revenue. That's wonderful. But I see so few membership sites actually work. Why is that? You know, I think people don't really necessarily know what they're going into. There's so many big positives about the membership model and you hit on it right there. Recurring revenue. It's fantastic. You know, if, if you enjoy dealing with a community and creating content. Memberships are great for that. So there's lots of positives, but nobody really tells you about the negatives. One that does a lot of work. There's plenty of people, if you've been in this industry for more than a minute, you will find somebody putting across this idea of memberships as being a golden ticket to effortless, recurring, passive income where you get to kick back on a beach, sipping cocktails, as all this money just magically appears in your account. And you and I know that's just not realistic. Memberships are just a business model. They're like any type of business, they require work. But in fact, they probably require a little more work because it takes quite a bit of time and quite a bit of input to actually build up momentum. It's a slow burn business model. It's not like an online course where you're charging a high ticket and so you can afford to spend a lot on paid advertising. You can afford to spend a lot on affiliates. Memberships in those early days, the income that they're bringing in doesn't necessarily give you much room for marketing spend. So it definitely takes a lot longer to get going. And in many cases, people going into memberships, they don't have the sort of situation where they can afford to take that amount of time. Plus as well, it's not just a marathon rather than a sprint in terms of how long it takes the business to build momentum. 
it's also a long-term thing in terms of how you need to get your strategy when it comes to the overall member experience. It's not enough to just get the sales. So much in business is focused on getting sales. That's all well and good, but with a membership, that's just the first thing. How are you gonna keep that person for three months, six months, 24 months, 337 months? Like You need a plan, you need a strategy, and usually people don't think that far ahead. No, we kind of avoid that. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds less exciting, all that work afterwards. It is, because quite often, you know, if you're selling one-off products or eBooks or even courses, you're engineered to not need to think so far, so mm. long-term. Mm. You're engineered to see the sale as the end goal, as the finish line with a membership and any sort of subscription. It's not the finish line, it's the starting pistol. And that requires just a complete rework of how you approach marketing, customer service, designing your customer experience and your product. And if you haven't thought of that stuff before you've gone in, then it usually spells trouble. Mm. So, so many people want to add also membership to their portfolio of various, you know, multiple streams of income. That sounds also yes. very exciting. <laughs> and yes. I've done it myself. And I'm just being here very honest on the show that I recently closed down a membership, or let's say I've changed it. I call it now the Lifestyle Business Library, where I have over 100 webinars that I've recorded in the past two years. People wanted access to them, so I sold access. Then I added a Facebook group. Then I added uh, monthly calls. But it wasn't, as you said, thought through till the end. Mm. And now I've changed it. I will only sell it as what it is. You can get access to my webinars for a fixed fee, but it's not a membership site. There's no community. If you want to join my community, you need to be in one of my you know, online programs. Yeah. But to that question, people have an online course, possibly two online courses, and now they tell me I want to add a membership site. What would you <laughs> say to those people? You know, you need to, I think the first thing to do is to question why you're adding it. Are you adding it just because it feels like a box you should check off? In which case, it's not a good enough reason. Are you adding it because a business coach or a mentor told you that you should have it? It's not a good enough reason. The main thing I would say you need to do with that, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, you know what you're getting into. You just need to pull back. You need to pull back and take that high-end view of what the picture looks like with a membership in it. Is it going to be one of five or six products that you are just juggling? It shouldn't be that. It should be this interconnecting ecosystem where your membership makes sense in the context of other things that you're doing. So if you're selling high-ticket courses, then your membership could be the low-ticket downsell that you use, and they're in that way, the purpose of your membership is as an entry-level product with perhaps the end goal being to upsell people into your high-end programs. Mm -hmm. Or is your membership going to be the centerpiece to everything else you do? So that's our approach. Our membership is at the absolute core of what we do. We also do live events. From time to time, we do a small, higher-level mastermind program, but all of this branches out from the membership. The membership our strategy is to have that as the central focus and everything else comes out of it. And so our strategy for not just the membership, but for the other pieces of the puzzle, and that's the bit people often miss when they're having these several different streams of revenues, is figuring out 
how adding one thing impacts the other and how you can make them all work together. You need to get an ecosystem in place that makes sense. And mm. the other part of that ecosystem will directly affect your strategy for your membership. The way that you're pivoting your membership is perfect because you've got the demand there. Mm -hmm. People want access to those webinars, but maybe the steps that perhaps shouldn't have been taken were adding the Facebook group, adding the other elements. Because actually that's not what people, that wasn't the driving motivation behind no. you bringing this into your ecosystem. They didn't want so, that. It was just yeah. me thinking they wanted it. <laughs> and it's because, you know, if you ask someone the question of what should my membership have without the context of everything else, they will say, well, they've got to have a community. Members come for the content, they stay for the community and this, that and the other. But actually you've already got a community. Yeah. Just not for that low end product. So, you know, the way I like to see it, and I, I, again, this is a reason behind our ecosystem, is you hear so many people say the money is in the list. And to a degree, it's true, you know, I'd rather take an email subscriber over a Twitter follower. But actually, technically, your money's in the membership. Like, if you treat your membership almost like your email list, your collective base of your most rabid fans, some of those fans, like 10% of your member base will want to pay you more for you to serve them in more in-depth ways, more personal ways and so on. So I like that approach of almost treating it as an email list on steroids. This is my subscriber base. Yeah. It's just that these guys pay rather than just sitting on an email list. But you know, that approach is very much going to depend on what other elements you actually have in the picture and how you want them to fit together. You get to design it your way. You don't have to have a community. You don't have to have three or four content streams. Chris Brogan, as an example, the model that you talked about there, the access to past webinars, yeah. he has this kind of side stream membership that is literally just access to webinars. Yeah. That's it. Like there's no other bells and whistles. He does that because it, it gives them a piece of the marketing puzzle and a piece of the business puzzle to play off against the one-off webinars that he does. Ah, pay, yeah. Yeah. So actually it is a membership site. Yeah. yeah, it is. And he's actually, I think he's got two now. So he's got a one which is community. Yeah. And where the emphasis isn't on content so much. But then for the people who just wanted the webinar archive, he's got that as well. And that's a, it's a separate product. And the trick really is in how these different offerings interplay mm. with each other. Yeah, really good. I'm feeling good about my change. <laughs> but still, I see membership sites work better if it's the main business model, like in your case. Do you think that's because that's your focus, that you pay more attention to how the members are feeling inside the community versus if it's just one of your five revenue streams? Yeah, definitely. And it comes down to expectations. If you just need a, a membership as a supplementary thing that maybe adds 10, 15, 20% to your revenue, that's great. But design it that way. Just make sure that if it's only 20% of your revenue, it's not 80% of your time to get that 20% of the revenue. It's all got to be balanced out. If your membership is your core focus, then obviously that should be your, your largest revenue generator. Of course, you can sell the higher end products and the events and this, that, and the other. But actually, if all your work has gone into your membership, it needs to be the primary revenue driver. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and a big part of that is because, you know, subscriptions, like a membership, they are a value exchange. Yeah. You want people to pay you on an ongoing basis, you've got to deliver value on an ongoing basis. And that usually means creating content and 
showing up for your community by answering their questions and so on. So, you know, if, if what you're selling is it's just a side thing. You need to make sure that you're actually communicating that value proposition and setting expectations mm. appropriately so people don't expect you to be creating a new piece of content every month and people don't expect you to be in the community and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I, I like our approach. I, I love the membership being kind of the be-all and end-all of what we do just because... I kind of have to, you know, you're going to call yourself the membership guy and run a membership about memberships, write books about memberships, speak about memberships, run a podcast about, you kind of need to enjoy memberships, right? Right, right. That's very, very true. Well, you touched a little bit up on my next question is the retention rate. But before we go into retention rate, uh, you mentioned also when you start up a membership, you are kind of investing into the future. You're assuming members stay for a certain time and i mm. i think those who have never done it before they have very high expectations of the members staying for a very long time and you know i have to kind of then disappoint okay. them to get a little bit down to the ground but what do you think how many members need to be in a membership site that it's kind of has that energy you hope for or maybe that's this a very open question here it kind of is it sort of depends you know obviously there's varying degrees of passion and interest in different topics you know people are going to be usually very much more passionate and as a result more driven to participate and to discuss in forums and stuff like that if it's a a personal topic or if it's a hobby based topic as opposed to something that is quite sterile and quite unemotional like, you know, accounting, bookkeeping memberships. You know, unless someone has a real serious bookkeeping fetish, they're not going to be logging in every day and, and spending hours in your community and, and giving that momentum. But, you know, it all comes down to you. Mm. Like, you need to be your number one member. If you're not passionate enough to show up in your community and start discussions and, and you know, engage with your members people aren't going to engage back mm. with you once you get that momentum going then it snowballs yeah. you'll find that members are starting conversations themselves they talk amongst themselves they're recommending other people join your membership and when you get that and when you get those connections going and you can get that with 40 or 50 members mm -hmm. when that starts to happen when magic happens in your community without you having to mm. you know light the fuse yeah that's where relationships are formed and it's relationships that keep people subscribed long beyond the point at which they've done reading your content. Yeah. So I guess people could test this a little bit in their free Facebook groups if they yeah. are the type of person to run a community or not. If yes, they can't definitely. do it in a free group, they can probably not do it in a paid group either. Definitely. I'm big on idea validation and validating as much as you can, because it's probably the biggest mistake people make with memberships is rushing too far from that initial idea mm -hmm. into implementation without actually stopping to ask the question, do I have a market? Can I reach that market? Because they're very different things. And if I can reach them, can I compel them to pay money? Can I lead them? Do I enjoy answering questions about this stuff or do I see it as a chore? And like you said, if you can't maintain a level of engagement in your community on a free Facebook group for more than a few weeks, you're not going to be around for the long term. Like this cannot be a chore to you. Mm. This cannot be something you resent having to do. You need to be someone who eats, sleeps, lives and breathes this topic, who gets excited by the idea 
of having to blog and podcast and create tutorials and answer questions 10 years down the line about this subject. If that petrifies you, don't do a membership. If it excites you, you know, your job in most cases will be twofold, content creator and community leader. If that sounds like your perfect job, go for it. Membership will be great for you. If it sounds like the absolute worst thing in the world, if you can barely bring yourself to write a blog post, you're not going to enjoy your role as a membership site owner. So yeah, coming back to the Facebook group, I very much recommend people start with that because they can be great just for marketing. Yeah. You know, we when we decided we were going to move away from consultancy and working one-on-one with clients, we knew that it would be obviously a period of time to make a transition before we get into a place where we could launch our membership. So the first thing we did was put up a waitlist page. So we had somewhere to start. Oh, that's up. smart. Yeah. 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 So just so you, anytime you talk about, it, you've got somewhere to send people. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just one page saying this is something we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing was a Facebook group, mm. so that we could start gathering our tribe together. We could start listening to them, seeing what questions they asked, doing market research, but also validating for ourselves that we could even tolerate other people asking us these kind of questions because we'd always work with such a a small, intimate group of awesome clients, mm-hmm. but. A client relationship is very different from having to answer questions from hundreds or even thousands of people. There's new challenges for that. So that was a validation exercise for us. Now what we find, we've got the largest, I believe, um, free Facebook group for membership site owners, and it's pivotal to our marketing. You know, we get inspiration and ideas for podcasts and blog posts. Like In those early days, people would ask a question. I'd go in and record a podcast episode pretty much that day so I could go back and say, as it happens, funnily enough, I just recorded a podcast episode about this. Why don't you check it out? Obviously, I can't do that these days with like six and a half thousand people. But, you know, it's a great testing yeah. ground. And what's happened now is we've got an overlap of people who started in that Facebook group. Now they're in the paid membership. And so we don't have to go into our Facebook group and say, hey, guys, why don't you join the academy? We literally never do that. Mm. our members do that because they're still in the free Facebook group so so many times someone will ask a question and someone says are you an academy member they've got a course on this if you're not you really need to check it out they're in there doing all that social proof for us without reward without prompting they're just taking it upon themselves because we've got that overlap so yeah free Facebook group is a definite definite Mm. and it's purpose will change as you progress in your membership plans it sounds like uh, that's a perfect way to, you know, and it takes time as you describe this. You're not going to start your free Facebook group and know within a month if this is yeah. it. You're going to actually, it's kind of a, I don't know, six or 12 month plan. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a funny thing, you know, technically you can build a membership site in an afternoon. Obviously with what we do, we've got walkthrough tutorials for all the main membership plugins for WordPress and all of that. Yeah. And I don't think a single one of them is more than 90 minutes long. And that is real time, click by click, getting your membership ready to start taking payments with protected content. Mm-hmm. So even if you literally just follow along with that kind of thing, it's 90 minutes to set up the basics for your membership plugin. There are themes out there that are pretty much just plug and play. Mm-hmm. And in terms of content, you can open the doors with no content. Mm-hmm. Do it live in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
Because at some point, if you want to do courses, you want to do tutorials, at some point you're going to sit down at your computer in front of a camera and record stuff. So why not just invite your first round of members to attend that recording live? Oh, I love that. <laughs> and then record it and it's done, it's made. Yeah. It's going to happen anyway. You may as well have some members along. So technically all you need is a page with some dates of the upcoming live trainings that are taking place. Yeah. So you can launch like today. Yeah. Most of the time that doesn't happen though. No. <laughs> I think a three to six month run up is usually realistic. Beyond six months, you may be like, unless you've got a reason to, sorry, when I say this timeline, I mean from when you made a decision, okay, we're now going to start implementing this plan mm -hmm. as opposed to, okay, in six months time, we're then going to make the start because we need to mm, yeah. move away from clients. Yeah. I reckon six to 12, sorry, three to six yeah. months from getting started on it creating the content, you know, getting more focused in your list building, getting your Facebook group up and running, obviously doing the tech and all that sort of stuff, researching and validating. Anywhere beyond six months, maybe you need to start looking at whether you're doing too much mm -hmm. and overcomplicating things because people do that as well. Yeah. You know, they want their membership to be this all singing, all dancing behemoth with gamification you know i want it so that every time somebody logs in this little hamster pops up in the bottom corner and says <laughs> well done this is your 37th lo nobody needs that stuff you don't need that in the early days and trust me at least half of the things that you think are vital in terms of features and content will flop your members will not respond to it the way that you think mm you are going to find very early on that actually you don't necessarily know what's best for your members. They will guide you. They will direct you. The stuff you think will work like gangbusters will get a tepid response. The thing that you very quickly threw together will turn out to be the most popular thing in your membership. We experienced that. We do almost mini courses, two to three hour long mm -hmm. focus courses, but there's some stuff that doesn't need that much. So we put together some called quick wins like very specific 10 minutes to 15 minutes max tutorials on something like hyper specific. Mm -hmm. And we just very quickly did it because someone was having an issue that would have taken us longer to like type out an explanation. So we just called it together. Yeah. People loved it. Yeah. So that's now like the most popular content. And we've got a whole section for quick wins. We didn't think of that. Yeah. Well, that wasn't in our initial plans. This is going to happen. And conversely, some of the stuff we thought would be amazing, like nobody even looked at. Mm. And we're, we're the experts in this. Yeah. So don't go too far down the rabbit hole of all oh, these features and all this content. You know, it's not a rush to have the most content. It's not about who's got the most stuff. It's definitely not about having the most features. So if you're finding yourself thinking this is going to take me a year to do, you probably need to strip down your plans and, you know, walk before you try to run. Yeah. What about retention rates? I think this is a big, big topic. People are mm. having very high expectations about somebody signing up and say, oh, somebody signs up for my membership and they're thinking they're staying in there for a year. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you get a lot of spreadsheet millionaires. Um, <laughs> you know, it's very... <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very easy to earn six figures in Microsoft Excel. The truth is, again, there's no standard. There is no industry standard. You'll hear people throw around figures. Mm. Usually those figures come from irrelevant places. So you hear a lot of people talk about three months being the average member rate. That's actually from pornography. Oh my that's, from, that's from porn websites. That's where that stat comes from. 
So as a tidbit, the average membership length for porn website is about three months. Um, and a lot of other stats come from SaaS. So they come from software as a service. Memberships are still a very, very much a cottage industry. There isn't a central repository of um, statistics because it's just not a big enough world. So most of the stuff you hear people saying, well, your churn rate should be below this. Your average retention rate needs to be beyond this. Most of it's just pulled out of thin air or from irrelevant sources. Really, it's like with anything, you just need to compete with yourself and always look to, you know, if you're finding that your members are only sticking around for three months, that's your comparison point. That's the benchmark you need to improve upon. Mm. It makes no sense comparing to a friend's membership or comparing to someone in your mastermind group because their proposition might be different. Their user journey might be different. You know, there's some topics that just have a natural end date. If you've got a membership that's based around helping people get ready to take their driving test, your retention length is obviously going to be much shorter than someone who has a, a membership that serves an evergreen ongoing need Mm. so you know put your blinders on and focus on your stuff really is what i'd say you obviously the alarm bells are going to go if you're not getting people staying beyond their first month yeah like that's obviously (laughs) your first definite alarm bell but you know beyond that i would say if it's less than three months then there's so much more you could do to extend it if you can get it to like a year that would be great Mm. that's really really good but again some topics some industries will naturally have a longer length your price definitely comes into it Mm. like as much as we like to idealize this whole thing of well as long as you communicate the value people will see it as an invest still it's real money coming out of real people's accounts and again certain industries are more price sensitive so i would just say on that just focus on you if you're below 10 percent churn rate per month then it's a lot better than being above 10 percent churn rate per month <laughs> if you're getting people staying subscribed only for if, you, if they're staying subscribed for six months it's better than them only staying subscribed for five so yeah just kind of stay in your own lane i think on that yeah i know that's a very broad very wishy-washy answer but honestly anything else is baseless yeah well let's say someone is running a membership site and people leave after let's say four or five months they would probably be advised to question those members that leave to figure out why they left in order to improve the retention rate yeah you know there's three Groups of people you need to question, people who join your membership, people who don't join your membership, and people who join your membership and then leave. Mm. The information you get about those decisions will be absolutely crucial for the three different points within that journey. And absolutely doing an exit survey for people who cancel is going to right away give you a list of priorities of what you need to focus on. And so often, there's a lot of quick fixes. You know, people will leave memberships for all sorts of reasons. Most of the time, they're not negative reasons. Now, I like to say you shouldn't take cancellations personally. Truth is, you still will. It still hurts. You know, we've got over 1,200 members in our site, and any time a cancellation pings, I'm like, ugh. And I'm straight away looking at why did they leave? And then usually it's like, oh, well, you know, they said they love the place. They're just not ready to quit their membership. They're going to come back later. That's great. That's what usually happens. Mm. You know, someone might just be having financial difficulties that are short term. Christmas is coming up. If you're in a market that is a little more price sensitive, a little more budget conscious, you wouldn't be surprised if people decide they want to take a little bit of a break because if someone's sitting down and they're comparing their monthly outgoings, 
compared to their grocery bill, compared to their utilities and their energy supply, putting food on the table and taking care of actual basic human needs, their membership to your cross-stitching community is probably going to be pretty low on the priorities list. So a lot of people will like take, when I say take it personally, make the assumption if someone's leaving their membership, it means they are casting some sort of negative view of that membership. They're leaving because your membership sucks and you suck and I hate everything about you and everything that you stand for. And, you know, it's it's not true. Cancellations are just part and parcel of a membership site. Yeah. Can't treat them with hostility. And, you know, you need to recognize people will leave for a majority of reasons. So on that front, that mindset shift really informs how you handle people leaving because the story's not finished when someone leaves. Mm-hmm. They'll come back. A portion of them will come back, but it does depend on how you treat that cancellation. Can't treat them with hostility. You can't make it so difficult to cancel that someone who otherwise might have come back will have had their bridges completely burned. Yeah. You know, follow up with these guys three to six months down the line. If they left because they were having financial problems, maybe that's cleared up. If they left because it wasn't the right time for them, maybe now it is, three months down the line. Mm-hmm. They left because they thought your membership actually wasn't good enough value and they were going to try a competitor. Maybe they've realized the grass isn't greener. You know, conduct a follow-up and a win-back campaign. And this is why serving your members as they leave is crucial because if you know why people are leaving, not only are you going to be able to patch up your retention strategy to prevent cancellations in the future, but you're also going to have a good strategy and a good basis for winning back your lapsed members mm-hmm. when you fix those problems. If people leave because I said, it's too much video content, I want written content. If you then go away and you add loads of written content, go back to the people who said, I left because there was no written content and say, guess what? We fixed that now. Why don't you come back? And here's a cheeky little offer to tempt you back in. Mm-hmm. That's no brainer. So. Do you recommend having a higher price for entering the membership site? I know some people do that to maybe possibly, yeah, like an entry fee. A joining fee. I hate joining (laughs) fees. I hate joining fees unless, you know, if you've got a legitimate reason. So one of our members runs a, a membership based around Irish heritage. So it's largely kind of based around providing a community for people of Irish heritage who maybe live in the States or they don't actually live in Ireland Mm. to explore their Irish roots and and stuff like that. And so with his members, they get lifetime access to this piece of software that has something to do with like genealogy and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that's a reason why, because there is an increased cost. He charges a, a small entry fee when you first join and that covers the cost of that initial stuff. If there's something like that, or if, for example, if you've got a um, Facebook ads membership and everyone who joins gets an initial one-on-one consult call with you, mm-hmm. these are things that would justify an upfront fee. What isn't a justification for an upfront fee is your inability to get people to stay long enough <laughs> for you to actually run a profitable business. And unfortunately, most people who charge that kind of joining fee that's the reason they do it. They look at it and think, well, you know, the average lifetime value of a member is only like two or $300. So instead of thinking, how can I make that $400 by getting them to stay for two extra months, mm-hmm. they take the shortcut of saying, well, what I'll do instead is 
I'll just whack this extra $100 in when they join. And it's lazy mm. and it doesn't work and I don't like it. It's gimmicky. Quite often what why people will do that as well is so that they can go on a webinar and say, for the next 48 hours only, we're waiving the $100 sign-up fee. Uh-huh. I don't like that kind of thing. My favorite thing about memberships, and this is just a personal thing. Yeah. I'm a stickler. I've been around this space long enough to have developed a finely tuned distaste of 99% of what other people do. <laughs> but you know, my, my favorite thing about memberships is the transparency. Mm. There is nowhere to hide. You cannot trick, manipulate, rip off, or otherwise poorly treat your customers when they are signing up for a membership because it's a little bit like stealing their purse as you invite them into your home to stay for the week. Mm -hmm. At some point, they're going to realize that their purse is missing (laughs) and it won't be too long before they realize you're the one who stole it. Same with a membership site. You're inviting these guys, you're relying on them staying with you Mm. as part of your community for a long, long time. Mm. If they realize they've been tricked, manipulated, lied to, that this fee that you charge, nobody else has paid it, they'll figure this stuff out. Yeah. And they'll figure it out pretty quickly and they'll realize and that won't reflect very well on you. So that's my favorite bit about memberships, that forced transparency. And you know that's why people who have somewhat nefarious marketing methods or those lazier marketing methods usually don't last long in the membership model because they get found out. Yeah. I love that. And I love a little rant. That's good. Yes. Yes. Soapbox time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. One last question about the content. I feel some people go on a content treadmill. Like it comes like a, Mm. like you said, a chore. But I guess there is a better way. And sometimes membership sites are not about creating so much content. I think actually my webinars, I have over 100 webinars. It's a lot. Mm. Nobody's going to watch them all. So what can you do to kind of not create too much content or get the members kind of, how can they experience content in a way that doesn't result in overwhelm? I think it's important to zone in on a few key things. First is the importance of community as a a complementary element to content. You know, people, this is quite trite, it's quite cliched, but members join for the content, they stay for the community. And the reason why that rings true is content is easier to sell. Mm. It's easier or it's more compelling on a sales page to say we have a library with hundreds of things. We've got guest experts and webinars from all these great people. It's a lot easier and more tangible to sell that than to sell the community. So, you know, that's, I think, where people get a, a little carried away with the content or they overcompensate. Mm. They get focused in having too much stuff. So that's kind of the first thing in, in recognizing it. It really isn't about who's got the most stuff. At some point, it's diminishing returns. At some point, 100 courses is no different from 90 courses, is no different from 80 courses. Mm. You know, so you don't want to get into the habit of creating content for the sake of content. If you can solve someone's most pressing issue in five minutes, do it in five minutes. Mm -hmm. Don't drag it out into a nine hour long course that gets dripped out over six months. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the first thing, recognizing you're in the business of solving problems, not creating content for content's sake. The second thing is redefining what content is. I've kind of started now trying to get in the habit of, of using the word deliverable instead of content. Mm. I always accidentally say content, but it's deliverables because content makes you think 
videos, courses, PDFs, tutorials, like rich content, rich media. Content can be, or a deliverable, sorry, can be a 20% discount that you've gone out there and, and negotiated on software that your members are already using. So it'd just be a member perk. Mm-hmm. That can have as much value, if not more value, than another video tutorial. So if you're putting out one piece of content per week, instead of putting out every single Friday, you put out a new 30 minute video, one of those days you could put out a member perk. It's not content, it's not gonna overwhelm anyone. Mm-hmm. One of those weeks as well, maybe instead of putting out your 30 minute or your one hour long webinar, you do a live member Q&A. Again, it doesn't take too much upfront work. It's not something that people will feel they need to attend or need to consume. Mm -hmm. So it's not, oh my God, here's all this stuff I've got to sit down and watch. It's just something that's happening, it's an event. It's not a piece of rich content. So there's 50% of your deliverables that are no longer overwhelming pieces of deep content. You also want to look at things like checklists, like downloadable PDFs with just checklists or cheat sheets or reference things that, again, it's not it's not a course, it's not a webinar or whatever, but it's still useful. It's easy for you to create because mm-hmm. overwhelm cuts both ways. Yeah. Member overwhelm and membership owner overwhelm. So finding that way of actually redefining what content is and recognizing it doesn't all have to be educational stuff. It can just be resources. It can be perks. It can be a member spotlight or a general Q&A. That and having those different formats of content and different modalities Mm -hmm. for serving your members can massively reduce overwhelm because the people people who just want to pick your brains they'll know they've got a channel for that and it's easier for them to tune out the other stuff. The people who want to sit down and study, they'll know they have a channel for that, but they're not getting bombarded every single week by a new course. So having those distinct content streams, and I like to have four content streams just because it means you can do one thing a week and you mix it up and you keep it different. The other thing is really about helping people navigate it. Yeah. You know, how you structure your content. So if you've got that big library of webinars, then a simple kind of new member questionnaire that maybe goes through two or three questions, identifies the top three priorities for that person, what they want to learn, and then spits out a list of five absolute must-watch webinars, and that's all you need to focus on. Things like that, helping people quickly get to the most relevant content, can again be a great way of reducing that overwhelm. Some of it does, again, it comes down to your topic. You know, there's three main ways in which you can structure your membership. Uh, you can structure it by outcome. So if you're kind of taking people through a linear journey, mm. like with us building and growing a membership, there is a planning stage, a building stage, a launching stage, a initial growth stage, and then a scaling stage. You can segment and structure your content accordingly so that you have a roadmap of sorts. We actually have a, a specific roadmap you work your way through that helps people by just saying, okay, at this point in your journey, this is the content to look at. Mm-hmm. When you're done at this stage, check this off onto the next stage. And now this is the content. So it's a navigational tool. Mm-hmm. So that way of, of segmenting and structuring your membership by journey, again, by outcome, that can be a great way of just providing that reduction in overwhelm that helps people focus on just what's important to them. Some topics are structured by competency. So like music instruction, you have beginners, intermediate, advanced. Again, just having good categorization on your site so that someone's a beginner, they're not seeing all the intermediate and advanced stuff. 
And then, of course, you have memberships that are just massive topics that break down into subtopics and subtopics and subtopics, in which case good search tools, good filtering options, things like I talked about before, having like a, a new member questionnaire or a focus tool, which again is just a questionnaire. Like, what is it you want to do? What is your main outcome you're looking for in the next 90 days? The tech now exists to be able to, without too much stress or strain, create a recommendation engine like that where you help people just zero in on just the bits of your membership that are going to help them right now. So it's just finding ways of tailoring your member experience to help people get to what's relevant to them so that they're not overwhelmed by all the stuff that actually isn't useful to them at that point. Yeah. So this was supposed to be my last question, but I have one little one. Go for little it. more. <laughs> is there anything new that you see coming? You know, live streaming, I think that's obviously something that people mm. are probably already using in the members. Anything else do you see on the horizon? You know, I've tried to stop making predictions because they just don't come true. <laughs> um, I always find it funny when you go back and look at like social media predictions for 2014, anything, well, none of that's happened. Like Google Plus never really happened. I was very excited about Amazon. Amazon were getting in the subscription game. Mm -hmm. They launched a service which theoretically would have made it possible to sell your membership on the Amazon marketplace. Unfortunately, they've now decided they're not doing it for digital products. Mm. That may change in the future and I really do hope it does. But right now I think They've narrowed it down to like software like Dropbox and stuff and subscription boxes. Mm -hmm. But I'm still hopeful that at some point they will expand again mm -hmm. once they've nailed that part to make it so that things like online memberships can be listed in the Amazon marketplace. That would be incredible, especially if you're an author yeah. alongside your, your book yeah. to have a, you know, people who read this book also joined Member Site Academy. That would be incredible. So, you know, I'm still holding out hope for that. Membership plugins are getting more and more advanced in terms of uh, like integrating with platforms like Infusionsoft and ActiveCampaign, where you can use tagging to do some really sophisticated stuff. So let's say we take that example of like a recommendation engine. If you come on our site and you've gone through three or four questions that has nailed down a profile of where you are, what your goals are, and this, that, and the other, these the still relatively new membership integrations with things like out of campaign infusionsoft on report convert kit in theory that could mean that every member gets a completely tailored member experience mm. according to as many characteristics as possible i mean that yeah. would be awesome it's like you log like you log already... in like with amazon and you would see featured webinars according yeah. to your what yeah. you're interested in or where you are on your journey. Exactly. And, you know, you could be getting emails kind mm. of saying, you know, you'd set out your your goal as this for 90 days. 90 days have passed. How are you getting on with it? If you haven't, we see that you didn't watch one of the webinars we recommended. Why not? Like that sort of stuff. There's definitely that line as personalization becomes more advanced. There's definitely that, that creepy line. Yes where you don't want to uh, overstep in terms of, well, you know, I, I know that you ordered that pizza from Domino's and you watched Love Actually last night instead of signing into the membership. Like, you never want to cross into that territory. But <laughs> yeah, I think the potential for personalization just has such scope yeah. for really nailing down this member experience. And it, that's what it's yes. about. You know, you are providing an experience 
at the end of the day. For most of us, it's a learning experience. For many, it's a, a more community-oriented experience, but it's an experience yeah. nonetheless, whichever way it is. And anything you can do to make that experience more relevant and more personal to your individual members, especially you know, if your membership grows to thousands, tens of thousands of members, if you can do that while still maintaining a level of personal touch where a lot of the heavy lifting of that personal touch is automated or is technology driven, that just has yeah. massive ramifications, I think, for the membership industry. That sounds super exciting. And thank you for sharing. It's been uh, one of my longest interviews. I normally... <laughs> I'm sorry about no, that. No, it's me. great. <laughs> it's because I'm so curious. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear from you. And thank you for being on the show, Mike. And wish you all the best. And uh, I will definitely put links to all your stuff in the show notes. So you will find Mike Morrison and the membership guys. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've really, really enjoyed this. Ready to turn your passion into profits? Get free access to the seven stages of a profitable online business by going to sigrun.com forward slash 134. There you'll also find links to Mike and the membership guys, plus show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe and give the show a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.